So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Hey, Michael. Hey, hey, we are at it again. Back? What are we drinking? We are drinking the Seattle Sunshine Hazy Pale Ale from Hellbent Brewing Company. How do you like it? It's delicious. It's as sunny in my mouth as the sun is out this window. It's a little bit floral, but it's kind of got that um that headiness that I, I tend to like in my IPAs. It's, it's a nice little in-between. How about you? Very well said. I concur. Delicious. Not sure if we've had this before or not. I think we may have last year, but I think this is the first time we've seen it. It's coming back. <laughs> we approve. <clears throat> um, we got some first impressions lined up. We have the French Dispatch, and then we'll be covering Bad Education. You ready to go to work? Let's take a look. The kids did this. Obliterated a thousand years of Republican authority in less than a fortnight. What do they want? Freedom. Full stop. I'm naked, Mrs. Cremens. I can see that. Lieutenant Nescafier is the great exemplar of the mode of cuisine known as police cooking. The aromas of the kitchen cast a spell, which was to be mortally broken. As you know by now, we have kidnapped your son. We just watched the trailer for Wes Anderson's latest, The French Dispatch. Taylor, what do you think? I'm much more keen to watch this than I was at the end of watching The Isle of Dogs. So that's a market improvement. Um, I like the all-star cast. I'm always excited to see Schwartzman and Wilson show up in a Anderson film in a supporting piece. Bill Murray heading up a newspaper. Um, the shootout scene did remind me of a film that we just very recently covered and the absurdity of the um jailhouse attack from below into the reporters above i can't think of what you're referencing it was his girl friday there was a shootout oh, scene gotcha gotcha <clears throat> some screwball um, flavor here yes and i i think i definitely saw particularly a his girl friday uh influence in that trailer there with the oh, angled shots of the shootout from what appears to be the the newspaper level of that building with the uh policeman below i like that connection. how about you i am always game for wes anderson uh i think you just can't have a conversation about modern masters of mise-en-scene without talking about him and i think that's fully on display here um narratively i don't think i even really was like paying attention enough to like story beats here as much when i watched it the first time and just was soaking up the style but it does look like it's divided into three stories or like three acts or it's kind of episodic yeah. in some way i don't think i really picked up on that the first time um, i believe most of his films are uh yeah I, I guess so i guess i hadn't really thought of it's weird i don't usually like remember that about them necessarily darjeeling um, zizu royal tenenbaums i remember all of them kind of distinctly having three different parts yeah um yeah and 
Yeah, you already mentioned the cast. Can't complain about that. Um, yeah, I'm on board. We'll be covering this for the show, I would assume. Oh, uh, most definitely. Good. On to Bad Education. Let's see if this is a thoroughbred classic. I see what you did there. Come on, it's the fucking good. sandwich. Good morning. I wanted to make a difference. Look, we did. I got us all the way to number four. And I will get us to number one. These are the best early decision numbers that we've ever seen. They want me to write an article about the new budget. Oh, okay. Soundbite. Nice. You want to write this down? Or are you... Uh... I'm taping. Oh. Okay. It's just a puff piece. It's only a puff piece if you let it be a puff piece. Come. What? Quick. Uh... This is a very real crime here. A theft of taxpayer money. All right, Michael, there's not too much to go on there, but that was the one minute and 20 second teaser trailer for Bad Education. What do you think? Well, we were just talking before the podcast about comedies coming out this year. I wouldn't necessarily call this. I don't know that it looks like a full on comedy, but I think this could be a funny movie. Yes. I am excited about that. Um, I, I would say it's a drama comma comedy. I would agree. Uh, kind of has an Alexander Payne vibe mm-hmm. to me. Like election came to mind. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, we've, uh, talked before about Thoroughbred. I was a big fan of that movie. I actually um, kind of thought of I, Tonya, not just because Alice and Janney, mm-hmm. but because mm-hmm. it's, it's a drama straddling comedy. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I think it looks promising. What about you? I would agree. I like the character work that I'm seeing. Um, there was a particular shot for a moment. Um, that seems like it's likely going to be a longer shot in the film uh, of the back of Hugh Jackman as he's walking down a hallway. Um, that's the type of stuff that I look for um, in this follow-up to Thoroughbreds. Um, I want to hear the same mastery of sound design with some increase in the way that he uses it, I think. I think that when we talk about Thoroughbreds, one of the first things that you're thinking of is that rowing machine. Um, and I think that there's really, really strong sound design just naturally in his work. And he's a, uh, he's great at framing. Um, I'm excited by the way that this seems a little bit more naturalistic, less stagey. Um, but I, I do want to see that sound design continue because I think that that is what makes him different than an Ari Aster or a Robert Eggers to me is the way that he, he was using sound while showing a plain image to change things. Whereas to me, Ari and Robert are kind of showing very um, enticing images and not as reliant on sound. And I think that's that's one of the, the things that makes Corey the most interesting to me. Hmm. Yeah, I'd have to go back and revisit Thoroughbreds and think more about sound. For me, it's the tracking shots, like you did mention. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I always, uh, what, what comes to the forefront of my mind when I think about that one. Um, and then thematically, you know, that's about, you know, two teen girls trying to commit a murder. Uh-huh. This is a little bit of a departure. This is kind of a high school. Well, I, I would say successfully committing a murder. Oh, they they do that. <laughs> yeah, correct. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe a, uh, some consi- there, there might be some consistency about privilege or class. You know, we're seeing these kind of uh, suburban upper middle class uh, parents and faculty mm-hmm. members kind of taking center stage. So. Um, it's know, a delicious like character. Maybe. It looks like for Janny. I love Janny with those characters that she can just chew on. If you could yeah. throw her and Tony Collette 
into like a a mean girls for moms film mm-hmm. i would just throw all my money at it i'm right there with you uh yeah i don't know that two theme or two movies is ever enough to you know say what an artist is really into but it seems like it's maybe an early indication of the kind of milieu and um uh social class that he's you know interested in observing yeah and some of the strengths that he's able to use to communicate that word on to a film review of the assistant michael welcome have a seat whatever's going on you can tell me that's what i'm here for you're relatively new to the company I mean, I've been working here for nearly two months. And you're under a lot of stress. Entry-level jobs in this industry are tough, right? Long hours? First one in, last one out. Good night. You're smart. You have to be smart. It's a tough job, but I can see that you've got what it takes. I want those new pages before I get on the plane. He promised the first thing. Where are we at? 200K and two points. Maybe you can put in a good word for you. No, he'll hire externally. Listen, his schedule has shifted. Does 7 p.m. work? Still at the hotel, or? Yes. What? This is turkey. I said chicken. <laughs> There's a girl waiting. Oh, her. She's been here before, a few times. What is it? The wife. Say he's in an important meeting. No, say he's in a screening. Where is he? What did you say? What did you say? They told me you were smart. The assistant stars my 2018 mvp rising star award-winning julia garner i said that she would go on to do great things and win awards and here she is with an award doing great work what do you think about this film michael i like this movie was it after the show on netflix ozark Right, yeah. that's what triggered the MVP award, right? Or was it Maniac? Maybe it was both. It, it was, it was, it was Rising Star, yeah. It was Julia Garner and Maniac and in those Ozark were, Season 2, I want to say. Those were coming out in parallel. Yeah, and yeah. I, I just... And I, I think that I'd seen some of her um, indie work outside of that. I can't remember what those exact projects were, but every time mm-hmm. I saw her, I saw development and I saw a more fully matured actress um, every single time, so... Yeah, I like this movie. Um, it's uh, Would you like to lay the groundwork? Uh, this film is about now convicted um, rapist Harvey Weinstein and what his assistant, played by Julia Garner, had to go through. I believe it's based on uh, autobiographical um, work. I don't know if that was a book or an article or in what capacity that's based. They, we never overtly, you know, address that this is Weinstein's assistant in the film. Um, but it's very clear based on the context in the film as it progresses. Yeah, no mention. And it's a day in the life. A day in the life of a starts yeah. in a car arriving to, or no, I guess it does start inside of her home as she makes herself some sort of a uh, something to before she gets in the car, and then she's escorted to work, and then it ends with her walking across a crosswalk onto a sidewalk. Um, and away from this abusive situation. Abusive is a good word. Um, I did think this was a pretty compelling look at a company uh, with a culture and 
gender norms that are pretty appalling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, it is carried quite far by this lead performance from Julia Garner. Um, I think you very much feel the uh, fatigue and oh, yes. frustration and, and just plain fear um, that is a part of her day-to-day um, as a employee at this company. Um, like you said, we never see this Weinstein-like figure um, on screen. He sort of remains on the periphery. I believe we see hands, we see torso, um, we, we hear of him. narrative um, sounds coming from him, and then we see other people voicing their interactions with him. So he is this gargantuan figure that is never the center of the film but also always the center of the film Mm -hmm. um and the the way that garner writes that line and just takes us through this whole day he is a a very ominous presence throughout smothering yeah 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 there yeah is a pretty oppressive kind of atmosphere that i think kitty green uh shapes um and i've never seen her previous entries of you i have i saw uh casting john benet which was a documentary mm-hmm. i think this is our first narrative feature i was mixed on that um it was interesting um i think this is the i like this one better for yeah. sure um and i yeah i think i like this as much as i do mainly because of garner but i think this um this is an interesting conceit and and the um I think this is, as far as I know, the first one to really try and depict what work was like in either yeah. Amir Max or Weinstein Company. I think it's pretty successful in that regard. Um, and, you know, each of those kinds of uh, feelings, whether it's the fatigue that comes from the performance, just mm-hmm. like her yawns, or the way she pours her coffee, it's almost kind of somnambulant. Like, it looks like the energy is just not all the way there. Mm-hmm. Um or when she eats a spoonful of cereal and then realizes that she has to put it in the sink and then tries to get three more spoons in her mouth and then go back to work. Oh. Yeah. Uh, first... Debilitating. That's that's what this film felt like. Yeah. Uh, the frustration when she has to do something like get lunch for her co-workers and one of them scoffs at her for messing up her order. Um when there's no reason why this is this turkey is, this i is ordered her. chicken is that right i think that's right yeah. yep um but then yeah i think beyond the fatigue or frustration it's fear that is maybe most compelling both for herself and then eventually for the other women at the company mm-hmm. um and well there's not that many of them that is true and we don't really meet them except for one or two and um, normally their comments are, don't worry, you're not as type honey. Correct. Uh, so it's kind of a lonely movie in that mm-hmm. regard. Um, not a lot of connection and camaraderie in no. this office. It, it did make me think of a show that I was watching kind of simultaneously. I think it was halfway through when we went to see this. Um, there's a show from Showtime starring Russell Crowe, um, Sienna Miller, and um, Naomi Watts called The Loudest Voice. It's a more in-depth look at the the life of Roger Ailes and the inception of Fox News and the Rupert Murdoch um, family. Um, I liked it a lot more than Bombshell. I, I would highly recommend it, but it, it definitely was in that toxic culture um, of anti-equality, um, I guess, is the only way to put that. There's not really a, a clean way of saying it, just abusive and 
unequal yeah workplace uh, yeah and i think it's quite subtle in how it goes about that i mean these co-workers are clearly not treating her well but they are also not you know over over the top in their abusiveness you know it yes. is quite insidious and in they're always very nice to her when she's trying to write up her apology email to harvey um for saying something to his wife or not doing something or cleaning something that she gets in trouble for mm-hmm. um yeah it's a very um it's a film chocked full of of me going Ugh. <laughs> yeah it is yeah it does leave you feeling just kind of gross kind of sickened by mm-hmm. it um i liked the detail when uh, the kids get dropped off. I think they're Harvey's kids, or mm-hmm. and she's expected to be the one to watch, watch over them. the kids. You know, just just out of a womanly duty, she's mm-hmm. somehow most equipped to do so. Um, I thought that was a nice touch. Um, and yeah, so how did this conceit of him remaining off screen work for you? Really well because of the small things Kitty did, like shoot Julia when she's stressed out from this top close-up angle instead of just a normal you know two-thirds up eyeline angle she's shooting it so that you can kind of see her entire forehead and part of the top of her head so it's doing that psychological like feeling really smothered by the camera and transferring that to the viewer and then um the the other stuff that she does well the other stuff that she has a team that does really well i would point to would be the sound design and specifically something called the foley work which is by recording the normal sounds that we hear in everyday objects and cutting that into the film if you remember the smoothie if you remember the toast popping if you remember the door sliding or the elevator chime there's so much of that in this film just so so much and it's all perfectly edited together and so on point that I never felt like I wasn't where I was. And it's really easy to mess that up once Mm. and just ruin a whole film with it. Yeah. uh, That's interesting. If I have, you know, any complaint that kind of maybe helped me back from really uh, loving this movie is that it felt a little fussed over to me in, in certain ways. This feels like a pretty neatly composed movie and for Mm -hmm. something that is, in reference to lived experience and almost it sometimes didn't feel quite lived in enough. Um, I do not have that problem with her performance at all. I think that is an incredibly rich role, but I think I get that partly with, with the direction um, and a little bit with the side characters where I, I feel like they're a little thin. Um, I would agree. I think that number one, you have to compromise naturalism if you're shooting in an office the entire time, unless you're Soderbergh. And I think that a lot of the Soderbergh office shots or the uh, the types of glasswork that we saw in Dark Waters are implemented briefly here. You know, that we do get some reverse shot reflection um, work um, as she goes into an office and asks if she can see someone and then comes out of it. There, there's just some little stuff going on, but it lacks a certain confidence and a certain naturalism that I think we both picked up on. Mm-hmm. On top of that, I I view this as a compliment. I would say the same thing about Thoroughbreds, um, which we brought up earlier. Mm. Um, this film, to me, 
is a proof of concept for a play that should be adapted on many stages. I see no reason why these very thin side characters with this great meaty female role shouldn't be walking the planks at Chicago, New York, LA. This just feels like a stage play to me through and through. It feels like a very easy to pull off stage play where there's always a desk in the back in the darkness and you're setting up different sets in between each act and then a small paper thin side character comes out and has these conversations with her while she goes about this business and it's a full-bodied performance which to me is a compliment but i totally see the other side of that where it's like yeah but this was a film and that didn't it didn't it's not something that I would point to at the end of the year and say, this is one of the films you have to watch to understand this year of 2020. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Could it work at a, as a stage play? That's interesting. Um, my only reservation there is that I feel like so much of that performance relies on really subtle shifts in expression. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you got to have that close up. Um, uh, but in terms of, I mean, it would depend on the venue is what you're saying. Yeah, just in terms of, you know, cinema being able to provide us with that feeling like we're mm-hmm. inches from her as she's biting her nails or something yeah. like that. I think that that might be hard to recreate on stage. Um, but well, yeah. I think it would be a different performance for sure. But to me, it's mm-hmm. one of those things where it works just fine on the stage to me. Yeah, I, I saw enough there for a proof of concept to, to green light a two week run and see what type of review you get. Yeah, yeah, I think you, you just have to amplify everything a little bit, mm-hmm. turn it up volume-wise um, in terms of the performances and whatnot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty positive on it. It's just more about that feeling of um, believability to some extent. Like, it is all so truthful in its ideas. It's in the form that I think just felt a little... Um, predetermined you know that Mm -hmm. uh, just sticks out a bit over over deliberated or something which which it does look good so yeah it's got that going for it did you relax when she finally crosses the street and goes in and gets that muffin uh i had complicated feelings is that what you felt relief it's the first time i saw her eat and show pleasure Mm. all day just to be out of there (laughs) So not only is she out of there, but she's eating with pleasure and she's like finishing a bite. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a viewer, I was just like, yes. <laughs> yeah. If, if there's anything that does work about that really deliberately composed aesthetic, it's that it can feel kind of suffocating and that does work. Mm-hmm. So when she does go outside, it is a relief. Yes. So I, I would agree with you on that. Um, would much rather see her out of the office than in it. Do you have a favorite shot? Should we talk about the scene where she goes to HR? To me, that almost feels like the centerpiece of the movie. Yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, I, I mostly like that scene. However, I do think that guy suffers some of, like the same problem as some of these other characters, whereas... I like, like, the idea that this character represents, but I'm not sure that he feels like a full-bodied character to me. Do you have the same problem or no? I don't know why he feels a little thin. No, because I think I see more there. I think maybe you're just seeing an HR guy that does that. To me, I'm seeing a guy that is 
I'm informing the way that I'm viewing it based on what I know. So I'm seeing a serial accomplice to a rapist work. Um, and that didn't feel thin to me. The idea is not. I would agree. Yeah. Um, I think I think he upstages her. I'll put it that way. Uh, yeah. Well, he's a very good actor. Um, he's in he's very um, careful. He's very careful to me. Um, like, yes. I, I have trouble. Yeah. Yeah. He, he kind of loosens up towards the end and that's part of the point. Um, but uh, conceptually, I think that the scene is significant and important. Yeah, he's in the HBO show that I'm now forgetting that I absolutely love, centered around Brian Cox. Um, Succession. Yes, he plays he plays the wife of um, the main daughter um, to Brian Cox's figurehead of this million dollar uh, or billionaire industry titan. And um, so when I watch him, I'm also bringing all that background to me. So he wasn't quite as empty of a face. I, mm. I had this background filling in for him. Mm. So I, I was very much enthralled by the way that he presented himself as this accomplice to a serial rapist who, in a sense, becomes a serial accomplice mm. using yeah. legality and corporate, um, you know, platitudes to crush someone who's trying to help a girl that she just met not get raped mm. yeah. um which was challenging to say yeah. the least yeah you asked about shot i don't know about if i have a particular shot but that would be the scene even though that's probably the most like obvious example but it is the one that just delivers how uh you would feel like you were going crazy if you were trying to blow the whistle on something that you saw everyone else treat as so normal mm, uh, yeah. that's what that <clears throat> does really succeed in getting across so that would be mine what is yours mine is kind of that last three minutes i i want to say of the actual film not the not including the credits where she walks out of the doors of the uh weinstein offices one would presume and this great really meticulous tracking shot begins um from the other side of the street on what we would appear as you know almost the curb or the sidewalk itself where it's dollying along as she paces through and we see the car um with the driver that she had the rough conversation with earlier in the day sitting there um and then we see the woman who told her don't worry you're not his type then we see the guy that she's been telling random things to that it's been you know you have to travel today you have to travel at this time now you're traveling at this time because he's at this hotel doing this sitting underneath that open end of the suv thing um with his legs crossed just like totally exhausted um and it just communicates how normalized all this is mm -hmm. but it also shows a great proficiency of framing to me mm -hmm. um and i just i really enjoyed that whole tracking shot all the way to where she goes to the crosswalk and then i think we finally swap sides and follow her up and into the restaurant where she gets that muffin or the diner where she gets the muffin yeah yeah i think with some first-time directors this is almost like a syndrome is that it can feel a little uptight and i would rather have that someone who is a little obsessive over details mm -hmm. and then they loosen up and that's why i made that voice, comparison so. to Corey finley as well mm -hmm. yeah i felt um, thoroughbreds felt a little uptight to me which would be my biggest i like that movie more so i just gotta defend it but i, I, I think we it. liked it equally rating wise but i i would criticize how tightly framed it feels and mm. how confining those frames are mm. fair enough shall we move on 
We shall. On to the lodge. So, how would you feel about going to the mountains for Christmas with Grace? She really wants to get to know you guys. That's our mom's hat. Oh, I'm sorry. I... You okay? I don't want to leave you here with the kids if you're not feeling up to it. Uh, I'm feeling fine. It was my idea, and it took a couple days. I can do a couple days. Okay, guys, I'm off. Have fun. What is that? That's crazy. Everyone committed suicide except for her. Repent, and you will find salvation. So the Lodge premiered at Sundance last year, mm -hmm. right? We've been talking about this one for a long time. We were very impatient when it didn't come out in October. And then November came, and I think there was one slow week where I protested the fact that the Lodge wasn't out so that I would have something good to watch. And then we were quite busy all the way through December. And then I began to complain about that and Antlers not releasing as soon as mm. the year turned. And I had to watch a terrible film called 1917. We're still waiting on Antlers, but the Lodge has arrived. Has it satisfied you after this long wait? No. That's the <laughs> quickest way of putting that is no. I'm not negative on this film. I think that they're... I think we say this every year, and I think we need to triple down on it. I think we need to quadruple down on it. Whatever happens at Sundance, don't trust it. Hmm. That media cycle is just trying to earn a profit. It's very unreliable. As much as I want Minari to be amazing, I need to slow down on my anticipation of Minari. Hmm. You know? Yeah, I can't remember if at the time this had distribution or not. Sometimes I think that's the best way is if it doesn't have distribution yet, you're getting, you know, the honest responses about whether it should or shouldn't. Yes. Um, but the other issue is that then you become to over-anticipate something. Um, and I think the that... The hype machine can... That, that happened with almost every Sundance entry I can think of. It's possible it won't happen with uh, Kristen Johnson's film. Um, and it it certainly did not happen with Wildlife. But Wildlife is one of the only Sundance films that I can remember ever exceeding what I had heard. Well, I'd say Manchester by the Sea. I don't remember the Sundance circulation on that one. So I would I would agree and I I would I would hallelujah to that. I would put my hands in the air and say, Amen. <laughs> that was a particularly good one. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that by and large we need to especially maybe with these horror entries, maybe to be a little bit more specific. Um Limit the anticipation. Riley Kiao is very good. Um, I felt like there was an hour roughly sitting on the editing room floor of this. It felt meticulously edited. Like there were plot lines taken out, such as the painting plot line or whoever the fuck was in that house. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah like I there's just whole chunks yeah. missing to me. I would not disagree with that. Uh, I kept looking at that painting and I swear I've watched this trailer so many times that I've come, to, I swear there's a shot very similar in the St. Maud trailer. I've yes. gotten these mixed up multiple times. Uh, I have higher hopes for St. Maud, although maybe I... I do too. I think Rose Glass's short film that I saw 
speaks a little bit more to a quality of consistency um, of tone building that this lacks. To me, the problem is that it's over edited to the point where the tone of dread is absent. Um, Mm. Now there's scenes that have dread, but an overarching Mm. tone of dread, it does Mm. not have, which is something that hereditary contains masterfully. And Hereditary mm-hmm. uses these dioramas and it uses this callback to this diorama that Tony Collette has um, to build this slow burning dread that becomes a, a shriek and, and a cry by the end, right? And this attempts to use a, a dollhouse, which is like a diorama, and this framing conception of, of this boy hanging at the top and these people with their faces down to tell us something. And that dread completely evaporates for me as soon as we see it. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think I'm overall about the same as you. I'm pretty mixed on this movie. I don't think it's a very good movie, but I also never went from, you know, enjoying myself to not enjoying myself. So, rating-wise, I came out a little positive somehow. Um, I I, I think I did respond to the style and the direction and the atmosphere. I think it was Um, well-framed. Yeah, I think this cold, claustrophobic mood, um, and... That's... So that's what I want to focus in on. You say mood. Mm-hmm. And to me, I I say yes, but for some reason I don't feel that there's a tone of it. Like, I feel like it's inconsistent. The mood is that, but the tone never has a has the same pulse from scene to scene. Would you agree, or or did it get you a little bit more? Um, I think I used mood and tone pretty synonymously, so oh, I'm gonna okay. have to dig in more. There to me, to mood is a smaller piece mm. of of like a, a a scene. A scene has a mood, whereas mm. a movie has a tone. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I thought I I would have said it does have a tone in terms of just broodingly atmospheric. Um, and cold and claustrophobic. I, don't, I would say uh, cold. I, I Claustrophobic, I wouldn't say. When we get to those open expanses, it didn't feel mm. the claustrophobic openness to me, the mm. way that something that we'll hopefully get to soon, an invisible man, existed. Mm. Um, to me, that it just didn't work. Maybe that was just on, on me. This is mm. one of those movies where I walked out, watched it with a friend. He asked me, I really liked that. What do you think? And I said, mm. I don't know yet. I have to. And I still don't really know yet. I... I'm somewhere with you where I didn't end up negative on it rating wise, but I have a lot of criticism for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, where it came up short was more in on, on thematic terms. I thought this was kind of a thematic uh, missed opportunity. I thought Agreed. this could dig into what these kids uh, harbor, you know, resentment wise for this soon to be stepmother. Um, and Riley Keough's character's insecurities over filling that role, like, this very quickly tells us that it is not interested in any of that. It is just interested in plot mm-hmm. and Riley Keough's character's history with a cult, which I think is just kind of empty of, of meaning or significance. Um, while, while I mostly liked the, the, the mood and the style and the feel and the look of it, it's just the story itself that I think is just weak. I think it's poorly written. Um and I, 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 I don't know. I don't know about convincing. that. I, I don't know. This goes back to, I feel like there's a legit hour on the cutting room floor, like a full hour of stuff that, that painting never feels like it actually reaches what some of those early shots 
that linger give us. There's that scene where it falls out from behind the dresser. Um, maybe that painting was going to do something at some point. Or, or uh, maybe the, you know, there was something deeper. T- I, I just felt like there was a lot more content that was cut out. Um, one thing that I, I'll just get this compliment out of the way, but I think it's a huge compliment. We go about 25 minutes into the film before we ever see Riley Cow's face. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a great brood of mm. of slowly building up this anticipation. But I, I would point this director towards a previous Riley Cow film in a very similar vein. If they ever wanted to make this movie look good, it's called It Comes at Night. It mm. does all this stuff. It has a painting. It's like a smothering film. It creates an environment of claustrophobia. It creates interpersonal um, complexity. Um, it has convincing dialogue between characters and investigates like the human experience. And it's good. I would agree. That is the much better movie here. I did like that approach. And she is this initially kind of ominously faceless figure. I liked that tactic. And then I felt like that sort of deflated a bit when she shows up and that ominousness disappears and she's just sweet and i I don't think it ever really repositions itself with um with the the what should be the object of our of our fear yes it turns a little bit more you know in becomes more interested in her psyche and her being afraid of her dad uh but i i think it it was almost uh structurally like Maybe not structurally. I'll say perspective seems to be a little bit of an issue here that were initially aligned with the kids, then were with Riley Keough. I think it sort of loses some momentum in in making that shift somehow. Um, it just doesn't. It just doesn't quite work. Uh, I agree, and I would triple down and say that's because I think there's a lot on the editing room floor. I I, I think there was more to the kids' perspective than we ended up with. I I don't know that this is. This is one of those horror movies that I I could easily see in the 2000s having that director's cut come out that rents a bunch of copies because, you know, they release it in the middle of summer when kids are out from school and the director's cut of The Lodge just came out and let's go Mm -hmm. rent it. Um, So I won't be surprised if there is a director's cut released that adds on, you know, a 20 or 30 minute um, runtime to it. Would you watch it? It depends on how dry this summer is, Michael. It's all relative. Maybe to the landscape. Maybe it'll be so dry that I'll need to melt some snow in the fireplace in order to to whet my appetite for cinema. If so, then yes. So we are mixed. Too negative, but we both gave it positive ratings. Yeah, um, do no you have time. anything you want to say about it that's nice? I think they're capable directors. Uh, I, I will remember the look of this movie um, for sure. And, you know, shots like of Key, Riley Keough's character looking out the window mm-hmm. um, or in some of those close ups that sort of these off kilter angles really tight on her face. I, I think there was something I think they kind of have a knack for how to how to use the camera um and that's why i'm I'm positive on it it's like i I had an okay time i was just after the fact thinking i don't buy that at all yeah uh so i um i would 
first like to say it's welcome to see Alicia Silverstone back on the big screen. I'd like However, to see briefly. more of her. Um, and I actually really enjoyed the the mise-en-scene of mm. the funeral scene where they released the balloons. Mm. I thought that was really well executed and a fresh idea um, mm. to put them in that confined concrete space with this square in the middle with this chimney and then have a chimney play or in a fireplace play a role in the film later. I thought that was a good slow build. Um, mm. But that let's stop there. Cause I just want to say negative things now. <laughs> I'll say last question. Did the kids actually do like 50 snow angels outside or was it in her head? I like I, to think that he made his little sister do that as part of the big plot. I think cause that's hilarious. I think that the snow angels were too big for the little sister to do. Ah, dang it. So they yeah. were in her head. No, I think that he did it. You think he did it? Yep. He is determined. Well, remember, the door was locked for an extended period of time. We don't know when those snow angels were made. It's true. He's committed. And... You gotta give it to him. Final answer. Do you think that those kids should die? No. I I think all children deserve a life. I think they killed Snowball, so they should die. All right. (laughs) They did. They killed the dog. Keanu's coming. Você não sabe a falta que você me faz. Eu, eu sinto que o Yorgos me ama para sempre. <risos> Querido pai. Escrevo a bordo do Liberty, partindo para a Grécia. Muito feliz ao lado de Yorgos. Um abraço dessa filha e irmã que os ama infinitamente. Invisible Life, Michael. Is our next title. Directed by Kareem Ainuz. It is a Brazilian melodrama that is maybe a 2019 title coming out in Seattle in 2020. Seems like one of those that is straddling the year-end line leading to much conversation about what year it belongs to, as those movies do. Yes, the classic Hostiles conundrum. That's right, but I believe this is still your favorite movie of the year so far? If it is a 2020 Ooh, movie? Is that that is a great question. I don't know the answer. I wouldn't say it's my favorite movie. I would say it is the movie that is the top-rated movie on my list so far. Mm. Um, I like it a lot. I don't think I've seen a movie that I would call one of my favorite movies yet mm. this year. Fair um, I definitely saw a documentary, um, a few of them that I really liked, and a short film called The Fall from mm. uh, Jonathan Glazer that is one of my favorite things that I've watched um, mm. in a long time. But I, I wouldn't say that Invisible Life is, you know, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's mm. real good, though. It's real good. I like this one as well. It is my number one rated film of the year. That doesn't mean it's my favorite. I'll put it that way. Probably not going to be on there at the end. Is that what you're saying? We got a way to go. Let's not even I'm just doing some hemming and hawing about my my list. I'll say that the the order so far does not include much in that I would call favorites other than documentaries in an animated film called uh, I Lost My Body. Ah, there you go. Well, this is set in 1950s Brazil. It at first. 
that is true. It follows two sisters whose lives diverge in their early adulthood mm-hmm. unexpectedly. I mean, that's one way of putting it. I would say this film starts in the middle of the 1900s and it follows two earrings as they are separated in the same city and the things that their humans choose to do. To me, it was a story Cinematic of earrings. earrings. You're, you thought there were actresses, though, I guess. That is a different take. <laughs> I like that reading. One thing that was a little strange to me is I think I saw that the original title for this was, it included the name of one sister. It was like the invisible life of Eurydice Guzma. Yes. yes, that is um, uh, Euripides. Uh yeah, The Invisible Life of Euripides. That is the name that it had last I checked on IMDb mm. when I was checking the runtime of the film while I was in the theater while the trailers were going before the film started. Mm. So, and it was in the subtitles when the film began. In that great bold red font. That looks terrific. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, originally included one of these sisters' names in the title. I think this is an easy question. I'll ask it anyways. Do you think that this is a story about one sister more than the other? Or is it about the bond between the two? The way that you pose the question, it's about the bond between the two. But more deeply than that, to me, it's about the emptiness that each perceives from the other's absence. Mm. I would agree. I think there is a longing or a yearning at the Mm -hmm. center of it, no doubt. Um, I was equally interested in both of these women's stories, but it felt to me like this spirit that they share was almost sort of the central element. And that's what created this kind of void, mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, just a different word for what you called emptiness. Um, and I was very taken by both of these actresses. How about you? Yes. More so the actress that leads with, uh, Yorgosh. I, I don't remember what her name is in the film or in that. We just watched the trailer to refresh ourselves. And so I remember Yorgosh. Um, but she has her child first. Um, she really convinced me. At first, I thought I was really going to go for the other actress because we get our beginning surrealism shot where she loses her sister in the forest. And I absolutely loved the look of that and the lusciousness of, of it and just the 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 dreamlike quality it had it it was so great it was a fantastic way to start this film um and it completely communicated the entire film in a moment and i i absolutely adored that but the more that the film progressed the more that i found myself wanting to stay with her and and with her son and in this neighborhood and see her in these different jobs and um, the woman who eventually gives her the house. I wanted more of, of those moments. I wanted to see her um, giving more hand jobs at the dance club right after she gave birth. <laughs> there's a there's a quality to it. And um, honestly, while I was watching this film, I thought it was directed by a woman. I, I wasn't aware mm. of who directed it, and it was just so strong and confident in a feminine voice, and it made such um, good fun of men's sexuality and their egos between the way that it criticizes the father and the way that it makes fun of um the other sister who i didn't like quite as much but still adored um her husband when he has sex the way that he climaxes is just Mm. truly hilarious 
That's interesting. I think I had a different reaction. Uh, not that I disliked how it handled a lot of the sexuality, but I, I was maybe more uncomfortable by it uh, in that it just felt like they were supremely uncomfortable. I think there is something to it about how about the movie's very low opinion of men. Um, I I wouldn't go so far as to say that it was necessarily poking fun at them. Cause I, I don't know that I ever like chuckled. Um, you didn't laugh when he had a full body shake and started like doing whatever he was doing on the wedding night. I, it happens a few times. That could be, um, uh, me and my entire middle-aged crowd that I watched this with, we all laughed. uh, Yeah. There very well could be scenes that I'm kind of forgetting. I more broadly, what's standing out in my memory is, the discomfort, the the lack of pleasure these women find in sex. Yes, yeah. So at first I was, like, disgusted by the fact that it, so- it felt like rape most of the times that she was having sex with her husband. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then me and my entire middle-aged crowd would begin laughing when that man climaxed. Um, and then impossible. And then it would become, like, almost disgusting because she'd look at herself in the mirror with, like, seething self-hatred. I could see that. And so I to me that was like just tonal mastery of making me feel all these different things because mm. life is complex and messy and all that stuff. Mm. Um did you watch this with the sold out crowd or how was your crowd mm, for this? There were maybe five other people. Not empty, okay. but you know, <clears throat> small screening room to begin with, so it yes, didn't it feel is. empty either. Yeah, I I was lucky in that small screening room there wasn't an open seat. So wow. it was in like I was in the back middle, if you know the you know those back three seats there. Oh yeah, I go for this. So actually. I actually had two people next to me, oh, which gotcha, is a gotcha. first for me because when I bought it, I was the first ticket in there. I think. Yeah. Um. So it it was very interesting to I I think it's one of these films that you might have a different viewing experience when you watch it with a group that wants to watch this film. That way you have a communal reaction and someone signals that it's okay to laugh here. So everybody does. And then, you know, maybe that's one of those scenes where even you would realize like, oh, this is funny, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think I could see that. So maybe, yeah, it's uh, partly environmental. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I could see that. Sex is one of those things when seen on screen, who you're watching it with can really influence how you watch it. Yeah. 100%. Um. I most definitely liked the look of the movie. Um, Yeah, I thought it was kind of this interesting combination of an art house style with uh, kind of middle brow melodrama. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I can think of many um, non-cinephiles who would go for the narrative of this movie. I think so. While the style of this, I think, is very specific and... Uh, kind of unique just yeah you know it, it's kind versions. of got a dreamlike quality to it the more i think about it it's very clear very razor focus foreground um mm-hmm. normally where the melodrama is happening but the further you look into the background the more of a dreamlike quality it has yeah uh, that fuzzy you know the the further in depth you get in the environment yeah um yeah i don't know that i have any like real specific complaints or reservations to explain why I didn't get more out of this than I did. Definitely positive on it. I liked it. Was just hoping to get a home run out of it. I don't know that it really got me there or pulled me in quite as deep as I wanted it to. Um, Hmm. My only kind of theories are that the opening, while I immediately took to the look and the style of it, was that 
it kind of suggests this mystery, like you said, and I'm not sure I found that same kind of mystery in the remainder of the plot and story. Um, and I think while I really... I wouldn't say mystery, I'd say search. Mm. I think I, I like the word mystery. That, that's what it felt like to me. Um, uh, there was something a little surreal about it. I almost could have used somehow a little more of that more of that because it does become a little more conventional mm-hmm. um, as it goes. And I think the cinematography is fantastic. Like that was one of the things you did like as well, yes, right? I, I will agree on that one. I did adore it. Yes, yes. I did. Um, it was luscious. Yes. And the way that they shot the ghettos and the, the docks and mm-hmm. the nightclubs and the nightlife and these bars intoxicate yeah use the word dreamy i would completely agree it's kind of gauzy kind of nostalgic i don't know that i responded quite as much to like camera placement and camera work in kind of the same way i wish this was a little fresher in my mind but the only example i can think of that kind of stands out is when one of the sisters is talking to her friend about potentially getting an abortion Mm -hmm. um and i just kind of remember feeling that scene in when watching that scene realizing that i was not feeling as much as i thought i maybe should in this scene and it just felt you know i don't know it's just kind of one of those filmmaking things i'm like i'm not sure that the rhythm and the pace and the flow of this is really pulling me in Um, i did feel that yeah i did feel it and the the communication of the climate and the sweatiness of it and once we get to that back half of the film where she's in a home and has a a child with her husband and the dad's living with them. And shortly before the dad lives with them, every time she's in the kitchen, that door is open. Mm-hmm. And, and do you see the lusciousness of the vegetation behind her? And that kind of speaks to the, the climate and the temperature and everything. But it also communicates the sense of confinement that even though there's an open door that she can run through to go find her sister, she can't because of the society and the social norms and the lies and the manipulation that are happening by those that are supposed to take care of her and be closest to her. Mm -hmm. And then we see the man that she's married to want nothing more for her than to continue to let him deposit children into her and stay at home. And that open door in the, you know, what has to be a hot kitchen when you're cooking that, climate and then the 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 heat behind her in this open door the fact she won't go out of it and then the men in the other room kind of creating this other furnace i i found the camera to be quite delicious personally yeah um it might have to do with the length i this did feel a little long to me i think it's two hours and 20 minutes um and this is one of those ones where i went for it man yeah i went for it i could see that i i was i kind of was wondering why i wasn't going for it in it wasn't an elephant for me yeah it wasn't a what an elephant for me oh gotcha gotcha um yeah I, uh not too many specific complaints. It's you know, it is a story of an of women enduring suffering. There was a part of me that just thought it was maybe a little repetitive at points. I don't know that this really carried momentum in the way I thought it should, even though that the even though the feeling felt really true and um empathetic, no doubt about that. Um 
I don't know. I, now I sound more negative than I am, but it's a good movie. I would still suggest so, it. I would kind of like to give it another go, get more out of it. Yeah, it, that's very interesting. Where did you find your hangups to be, I guess? Like, where's your number one hangup if it's not camera placement? Well, I think it is partly camera. I know. Placement. That's why it's, I said if it's not camera it's placement, not what's, that, what's the next one? Um, it is the uh, synthesis of all the individual parts. You know, like it just mm. kind of works. It, it, things work on their own. But at two hours and 20 minutes, um, as much as I felt for each of these women, I think this leans a little bit more towards middle brow melodrama than art house for me. Yeah. Um, and that's just me saying end. I like middle brow melodrama. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I I think it's maybe an expectations issue with kind of what I thought this was going to do because of that opening scene and the look of it, I think, kind mm-hmm. of um, primes me for certain narrative gotcha. things. Um, and I don't know that I really went for the ending. I think you did. I did. I liked that time jump. Um, at first, I, I was quite against it but i do think that that's the right way to play it um because i think that that speaks to the breadth of of a human life i think that this film can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different age groups and that's one of the things that i'll I'll always go with is, is if a film seems like it sacrificed part of its effectiveness in order to have a broader appeal um i'll always go okay but does it also by having that broader appeal have a more narrow and specific appeal to people from different demographics and to me it it does that it sells that really well it sells to the women that were alive in the 1950s that that can really say you know they don't have to necessarily be from brazil they could be anywhere in the world and and say like yeah i'm at this point where i'm worried about my neurological abilities and i could be this woman who you know, has good days and bad days where she doesn't know who her family members are and other days that she does. Um, in days when, you know, I, I know what she looks like and everything, but I'm not with it enough to not see a girl who looks like the last time I saw her while she was alive and go up to her and treat her like she's, a, she's that same person. To me, that communicated uh, a narrowness and a depth um, but it also achieved a, a broadness. And to me, it's kind of a perfect pairing of the other side of femininity that a portrait of Lady on Fire began um, for us when, when we saw it. It's, you know, portrait of the Lady on Fire is about women. It's about female sexuality and it's about the feminine perspective and the feminine mystique and all that beautiful stuff. And, and this does all that, but it also does it in a different type of of um male malaise i guess mm. then yeah they're a portrait of a lady on fire did. yeah in portrait of a lady on fire yeah. but there the fact that there aren't any men and that we know that there are gonna be mm-hmm. and oh, the yeah. limitations of that on the time make those moments more precious and more delicious and here the men are always there and always affecting things and i i think that you know it creates two bookends of the feminine experience um that I I just really went for. And I think that by seeing that age difference, by letting one of the sisters pass away, you see the continuance of like a matriarchal responsibility um, of the other sister, um, but also this youthful 
um, person who's of a of an elder age with a neurological disorder just wanting closure. And mm. that just, I, I'm always going to go for that deeply human stuff. Man. Always going to go for it. I, I, I wish I had the same response. I, I think I kind of like the gamble it takes, but at the same time, I looked at that older character and just did not see that same younger character. I think it's just for a movie that is so, um, it, it's so well using the continuity of this long timeline mm-hmm. to then make that jump. It, it just didn't quite make it. Do you mean physically? Temporally. Right? Okay. Okay. Uh, Cause I was going to say, I thought that that was the point. Um, physically is that she's so much shorter and so mm-hmm. much different looking, you know, she, mm-hmm. she comes to have a body much more like her sister had in her youth than what she had in her youth. And then you see her children look very different than we would have imagined that her children would look like. And to me, that just communicates the hardship of life. Yeah, and yeah. I, I went I like for that. all that jazz. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I like the, I like the idea behind that. Um, yeah, I could get more out of it on a second go. Um, I think I'd be more likely to do so if it were shorter. Hmm. Um, and I, uh, just particularly taken with uh the cinematography i think that is first and foremost what i responded to about this along with um the performances by these two women um and just the sense that even though we only see them together for what must be like 15 20 minutes of a very long movie um there's really never any doubt in your mind that these women are sisters just Mm -hmm. because of the the spirit that that they each have the resiliency and the very strong will that they each have it very much feels like they are of kind of one spirit which i think kind of relates to that opening segment which feels like this kind of separation that has occurred um i I think i think that's all good stuff um so hey it's a good one i would recommend it to our listeners i think it will probably be in my top five foreign language films at the end of the year we shall see we got a ways to go on to the mountain the broke back mountain you know it could be like this just like this always this thing grabs hold of us in the wrong place and we're dead boy sure found a way to make the time pass up there you don't go up there to fish you don't know nothing about her You have no idea how bad it gets. If you can't fix it, you got a standard. I wish I knew how to quit you. All right, Michael, you explained to me how all of our titles coalesce right before we get to this last one. I can do no such <clears> thing. <throat> this is our only not new release. Correct. Of the episode. It's about 15 years old. Uh, I have seen this once before. This is your first go-round with Brokeback Mountain? Yeah, I've been saving it for a long time. It's been on my radar since it came out, um, obviously, but I never got to it. And then Heath passed away, and I hadn't seen one of Heath's performances, and so I kept saving the fact that there was still one more performance. Um, Like that, it was just one of those treasure troves that I, I put underneath the swing outside the the front porch underneath that tree if you know the logan lucky uh reference i'm making got it got (laughs) it to that buried uh trash bag of of cash um and 
I finally dug it up because you went and saw a screening of this at the Beacon. That is right. How'd you do? I like it. Did I you? do like oh, it. Good. I like it quite a bit. I, I very much am a fan of Ang Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I think, more confidently criticize Ang than most filmmakers. And mm. I, I feel like I can really criticize his films like I criticize films that I don't like with movies that I like from him. So th- this was a very pleasant viewing experience. I have a lot of stuff that I think could have been executed better. And then I remember mm. it was 15 years ago, you know, um, mm. I'm sure that this was on your radar at the beacon because you were like, Oh gosh, I missed Gemini man. I haven't watched the incredible Hulk. I really need to catch up with some angly again. Let's start with Brokeback mountain and then get right on Gemini man. I know that's what was in your head. You're very excited for all these angly releases. We're about to do the life of pie. I'm sure. Not imminently. <laughs> yes, I am far less up to date on Angley's filmography. I will be of no use in putting this in the context of his. I haven't rough. watched that halftime walk. Um, the Billy Joel or Did Billy not see that whatever. One. Uh, Billy Long didn't see yeah. Gemini Man. Um, Crouching Tiger or Hidden Dragon. That's a good one. That's a great film. Yeah. Um, so I can't say much about this as in. Ang Lee movie, uh, but I love this movie. Uh, I think this is a very emotional one for me. I think it is beautifully acted uh, from uh, both leads, Ledger, Gyllenhaal, and love mm-hmm. Michelle Williams in Hathaway's slightly smaller, but I think she's good as well. Oh, I think she's small but loud. She is. I think. I think they when all she's just succeed. typing on the calculator and flipping the Rolodex without saying a word, she's speaking volumes. She is. Um, I think it's. Uh, just perfectly put into this landscape by Ang Lee. Um, you know, this, I've read the short story. That was what prompted, I have not. Yeah, that was what prompted the viewing at the beacon. It was a gift. That was my Valentine's Day present. Ah. Was they were doing a short story reading. Not, uh, you know, read the short story in advance, come see the movie. We'll talk about it, that kind of thing. Oh, cool. So, read the short story. Um, just a lovely short story. Um, but you know, that is one of the things that you get from, uh, it being realized on the screen is, you know, not just performance, but where this is. Does the short story have the ending? Where Ennis goes to, uh, Jack's father? No, I mean, does it have the ending? Like, from the way that it ends? Or does it just have the fun, nice part on the mountain? It does, so it does end tragically. Okay. That's what I'm living under a rock. In Sylvanstein, Brokeback Mountain. Actually, I just suggested you've been living under a rock. I will say, if you haven't been... If you've been like me and living under some rocks that you carefully placed on top of the soil, underneath the swing, tied to the tree, outside of your front porch, where you buried your trash bag, your hefty trash bag of cash that you scored from your NASCAR ripoff in the film Logan Lucky, just like me, then... Leave now. We'll talk about the ending. <laughs> Jack dies in the end. Jake Gyllenhaal's character. It's just slightly different in the book. In the mm-hmm. movie, and this is on the phone, right? When we get this cross-cutting to uh, the Anne image. Hathaway, where she explains what happened. And then near the end, we see a cross-cut to a separate image that is totally inconsistent with what happened. Uh, 
oh inconsistent with her explanation yes correct correct yeah <clears throat> it's just a little different in the book um it's not until he there is no mention of him having been murdered when he's on the phone with Anne Hathaway he goes Sorry, to let's you keep saying book how long is this <laughs> short story oh uh 60 pages 50 to 60 pages oh okay so it's a full-bodied short story yeah. I was picturing a Haruki Murakami 16-page short story at the max. Yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, 50 to 60 or so. Okay, almost, I, I would call that a novella, almost more than anything. Okay. Um, in the book, it's not until he goes to Jack's house and mm-hmm. Jack's father says to him something about um, him having taken up with a man down south in Texas, where the father knows that in the book. Mm. And Ennis says to himself in his head, now I know for sure he got caught. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I think in both cases, I mean, we can, I don't know if you feel it differently or not. I think in both cases, it's potentially ambiguous um, whether or not this is what Ennis assumes um if that is just a pretty pretty clear implication of what happened oh interesting to me the foreshadowing is so loud that i didn't see it any other way Mm. in the film um because i didn't have that extra context so to me the foreshadow is when we hear about um uh is it heath's character um where his dad brings him out to see his uncle or or some no uh, it, it's some guy man. yeah who who was shacked up with another guy um who had been beaten to death and eventually died from having his penis ripped off um with a, a rope tied to it um and it's a it's a fairly um tame scene based on the description given before it when we see the body lying there it's still grotesque but it's mm-hmm. not as bad as the description and then we see Heath you know, as a small child being shown that, and then that horrendous line, for all I know, it was my father who did it that's showing it to me. Mm. Um, And in that flashback, you know, his father is clutching him almost in a half hug, but also, you know, paternal forces behind it where he's making his boys look at this. And it's just so visceral, grotesque, uh, affecting that... To me, it was this ominous foreshadow that was inevitable that the same thing was going to happen to one of them. And who did it happen to first? Mm. And the way that the story goes, if I remember correctly, um, we see Heath um, dropping off Kate at um, Michelle and her new husband's home before we find out about Jake dying. Um, And that's when she starts talking about the tackle box. Mm-hmm. And he starts running away because he knows that that could happen as soon as she outs him. Mm. All it takes is one other person that isn't her knowing and spreading that to enough people for that same thing to happen to him. And then it happens to Jake and we don't, mm. and we're not there to witness it, but it happened to him. Yeah. It's out of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've kind of gone back and forth. I could kind of go either way, whether or not this is something he... Um, assumes happened versus actually happened to me. The point is just that he is afraid of the possibility that that is what happened. And like, yeah. that's, that's the takeaway. To, to me, having... I didn't see it any other way, but yeah, I, I don't know that there's a right way to see it. I agree. Um, uh, it's just about having to, um, 
have such strong feelings for somebody else and to have to hide it, have to shrink away, have to literally go into the mountains to to uh, let these feelings out. And then the fear of what would happen if this uh, was known. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Which I, you know, I think are encapsulated by Heath in a few moments. Um, particularly, we rewatched the trailer for a nice refresh before we started that scene that I said that I just adore, which is the Fourth um, of July scene where they go to watch the fireworks. I think that there's a rodeo happening as well. They lay out their picnic blanket and then some men come up and start talking about um, women very derogatorily. And Heath asks them to stop um, and then they don't. And then he goes and knocks the shit out of them and they run away. Um, and he's standing up and behind him is this firework display that that was one of those moments that's just um it communicates everything that ong can do with um there's not that much of it sorry go ahead it it well i i would say ong can do these things where he takes these events and then he takes the local circumstances of the characters and he marries them together and creates these these shots that we don't really see from other filmmakers um and, and that's not to say that we don't, but I think that some of Ong's most luxurious shots are uniquely his own. I, I really feel very strongly about the cinematography feats that he had in Life of Pi um, in 3D. I think that's some of the best early CG 3D work with environment and local character meaning that I've ever seen. And I think that Brokeback did that even beforehand. And then another brief moment is when Heath is punching the wall and exhibiting that that shriek of not fitting in and, you know, the fact that he can't love Jake's character, Jack, openly um, when he's holding that cowboy hat to his face and he punches the plaster wall and the man walks past and he yells at him in that deep throaty yell. There's, mm-hmm. It's just that encapsulates kind of the, um, the masculine... L- red road that he's walking if you're familiar with that term i'm not familiar with that phrase it's a native american phrase about like the way that you walk through life it's a it's a tight walk and it's a red road because your feet are like being cut by the narrowness of being all the things you have to be and moving forward but it's also the way that you create meaning yeah yeah uh yeah i mean for so much of this i'm just so taken with the performances that the direction kind of moves to the background for me um i'm mm. not that conscious of um what Angley's doing with the camera and then when those moments do happen where he takes that low angle and Heath Ledger's you know uh in front of those fireworks they then stand really stand out i do like that they really matter when i think he does something that is a little more bravura is too strong of a word you know it's not a mm-hmm. it's not a long take or something but it is a uh it leaves an impression put it that well, way I mean, these other movies that we watched and have talked about today, The Assistant, The Lodge, Invisible Life, they're a lot more active cameras. To me, it was very noticeable how he would just make sure that a scene had luxuriant composition and just let these actors behave in this naturalistic environment. It, It was so loud to me, the sitting still with the camera yeah. Um, in comparison to the other stuff we've been watching recently. I, it was actually really refreshing to just sit there and let the composition of the frame be the film for a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, if anything, like, I could see this being criticized by cinephiles for not being, like, cinematic enough, you mm-hmm. know? Like, there isn't a lot of great flourish to it, but I don't know. I, I just think the performances, these characters just don't need it. It is partly about just the the quiet, the um, openness of the landscape. Like, you just need to look at it and see these characters move in it and um, harbor so much feeling Um that you know it's just not necessary and then when he does something it it it, it, it works um so i dig it uh i i i like that uh it returns that it finishes where it does with this uh scene with Heath Ledger and his daughter um mm. partly because one thing i didn't get quite so much out of the short story which you know not everything is about how it relates to the short story but um, this is so much about their relationship, Jake Gyllenhaal's and Heath Ledger's character, but uh, I don't know. Also something about the idea of what Ennis um, got in, in in his head because of what his father told him. Mm-hmm. Um, and him, at the end of the movie, left thinking about what kind of father he's going to be with his own daughter. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. That was just a nice uh, additional angle versus the tragedy of the romance, which is more than enough, no doubt. Um, but I also like um, the note it ends on with him as a father figure as well. Yeah. So I don't know. I would go further and say that I also like that, but I actually like the more ending part of it where he buttons up <laughs> Jake's uh, shirt and looks at the postcard and then exits frame. And we have the lingering uh, shot of the, the inside of the RV with the closet door open his shirts inside the closet, um, Jake or Jack's, um, clothing that he'd taken from him, the postcard. And then that just gorgeous money landscape shot outside the RV window of that mm-hmm. sunset. Um, that was just it strong. Was great. It was, it was a fantastic way to end a film that y- it it's hard to classify what this film is so much as just a a human experience at at a point in time. Yeah, yeah. I now I'm almost tempted to like walk back a little bit what I said about direction being minimal because I think I may be using that just in like a sense of his way with the camera versus just the directing of actors. Like you can kind of talk about performances in terms of what each of these professionals are doing on their own. But I think what really just works so well is how, uh, Jill and all and Heath Ledger work off of each other. Like that mm-hmm. is up to the director to manage. Um, and that there's no doubt of the connection. Um, while they, they do have these differing personalities, yes. um, that I think are each appealing on their own terms. Jill and Hall more is this kind of boyish, temperament that yeehaw scene at the campfire was so fun yeah that is like the perfect instance of his more uh goofy i don't know that's just the word that comes to mind yeah Yeah. versus ledger's far more weary soul um and how well those just fit together um is just instantly believable for me um so yeah Props to Aang for that one. I think he did I, that I think that it all starts at the bottom. It starts with the I'm tired of beans. <laughs> That's how you really build your characters. <laughs> yeah. Uh 
I, I will say I was surprised. The title of the film made me... It's just loomed in my mind for so long that I thought this would be a, a long film about a singular point in time mm. on Brokeback Mountain that was between these two men. I had heard of the all-star cast of Michelle Williams and Anne Hathaway and Kate Mara and Linda Cardellini and David Harbour and Anna Ferris, And I had assumed that each of them would leave their lives to go work this summer thing and fall in love. And we mm -hmm. were just going to watch this summer of love. Mm -hmm. I was very pleasantly surprised to see the opposite happen. I remember being very surprised too. Like, Oh, we're off broke back mountain. Yeah. We're back in town for like the rest of the movie yep. with, with some, trips back to it i remember being surprised as well and it does kind of just make it feel like that much more of a memory that they mm -hmm. just want to feel again um yeah i would agree i also weirdly had them switched in my memory that shows you something about how your mind can play tricks on you mm -hmm. that's weird well i mean i honestly would have assumed that jake would have been the ns character and that heath would have been the more sensitive boyish yeah, i agree because um, i think when i think of heath the Joker's kind of separate to me. It's something that Heath pulled off. I think more about the charming guy from A Knight's Tale. That's the guy that I think of. And so that's what I had expected to kind of see. Yeah, he is, yeah, kind of unexpectedly sullen, or mm -hmm. introspective. Um, Which makes that loss, you know, echo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I recommend it. Sounds Highly. like you do as well. Uh-huh. Do you have a favorite scene, Michael? Oh, it's hard not... I'm just being obvious this episode with big moments, but I cannot help but go with the big moment, their departure, when uh, Ennis tells Jack that he won't be able to come back till November instead mm -hmm. of August, and that confrontation and the, the anger uh, that Jack can, like, barely contained because he's so just just pissed off about having to to wait these stretches of time um that was palpable for me what about you i don't have a favorite shot i'm gonna tell you a shot that i really like because there's a lot of shots that i there's so many shots in this that would earn a favorite shot from me one that i just really really responded to is the introduction of linda cardellini in the diner she forces Heath to dance with her and then coaxes him into a foot rub. And the way that she fills the screen with life and the way that Heath was allowed to be that sullen version of Ennis that isn't the version that we see when he's with Jack um, and the way that, that he gives into the foot rub and becomes charmed by her but we know what's actually happening behind the scenes and, and who he really is. That was just such a rich scene, but it was so elegant and, and natural. I really liked it. She, yeah, that is like the epitome of a great supporting role, like truly limited screen time. She comes in mm -hmm. late, but she, she leaves an impression. She, she, she does what she's got to do. I think that we need to name that the Tomei Cardellini done that's brokeback mountain run go get to the chopper we have to go i'm coming with you that was brilliant you're the best and we love you that's another one in the can